Welcome to the New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, the New Mind Creator. Today I'll be interviewing Mike Iamelli. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you receive alerts when new episodes are available on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I remember, Mike, when I first uh, began to get serious about um, changing my eating habits, um, I did some research, but I've always thought I ate healthy, but it just seems as though it wasn't working. And then I started uh, doing more of a Mediterranean diet uh, to get rid of meats in my diet. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't, I think if you didn't eat meat, you know, growing up, you would probably not live, but that's sure. obviously not the case. Uh, and I started that like, uh, what, four years ago, at least. And um, I always enjoy eating different uh, foods and trying different things. I know you uh, enjoy different foods as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, thank you. I um, also, you know, because I got really sick, and I know we're going to be talking about that later in the episode, but because I got really sick, I started to eat a more, you know, quote unquote, restrictive diet. And so I'm gluten free and I'm dairy free. And for a period, I thought that meant I couldn't enjoy really amazing foods, which obviously isn't true. And I'm so thankful that my husband is such a great chef because um, I feel like, you know, I have become even more discerning in what I eat, even with some limited things. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, I thought it would stop me from going out to eat as much because I am so passionate about uh, food. But really, you know, you walk into a restaurant, you know exactly what you can eat. Um, it's made me a little more empowered about not being shy, about telling people my food restrictions and not feeling bad, which I always seem to feel bad about. Um, but, you know, just being able to say, you know what, I can eat some of really amazing food. And so I think for me, it's really breaking down those beliefs like you that, eating a certain way has to feel restrictive or somehow I'm giving up things and not able to eat really amazing food. Yeah, I agree. At first when I began, it was just, it was a chore to find different places to eat that was conducive to what I was trying to do. And it definitely got easier once the mindset shifted and just got focused on what I really enjoyed and it became easier. Right. And, and who doesn't want food that they love eating that also makes them feel good, right? Having both of those because I actually could not feel sick after I ate and I could have really delicious food. And I think it just makes you more creative because you have to be a little bit thoughtful about um, the type of dishes you want to match both of those rather than, you know, when I could eat anything. I feel like I was sort of lazy. I didn't have to think twice about it. Yeah. And I know that um, you mentioned moments ago um, that you had some really serious health issues um, that uh, came about when you got uh, of age. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, you know, pretty early in life, I was really successful. I actually started a public relations agency when I was 22 years old. And I worked with a number of, you know, healthcare politicians and tech billionaires and celebrities and all types of, you know, high profile people like that. And then one day, a few years later, I was 24 years old, and I woke up and I was vomiting blood. 
And as you can imagine, that was terrifying. Um, you know, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just woke up in the morning and I was vomiting blood. It didn't stop for months. So I could hardly eat for, you know, over two months. Um, I vomited blood almost daily. It got so bad that I, you know, tried to go into the office and muster up the energy. And I actually had an accident at work. You know, I, I shit my pants at work. It was by far the most embarrassing moment of my life. Um, and it was really a rapid decline. So I was in the emergency room. I was going to different doctors. I was starting to explore alternative therapies like, you know, reflexology or Reiki or acupuncture and herbalism. Um, and I got to a point where I couldn't drive myself. I couldn't even, you know, get off the couch some days. I was in so much pain. And so at the time, I actually had two roommates. One of them was my older sister's friend who had recently moved to the city. And so she moved in with me. But she had a boyfriend, so she wasn't there that often. And then the other roommate was a guy I knew from college who also just moved in because he needed a place to stay. And so um, just by chance, this guy I knew from college, his name was Garrett, and he uh, its a medical professional. So he was on residency at the time. And he, you know, just by default, because he knew the system and because no one else was around, he started taking care of me. And so that would look like bringing me to doctor's appointments or, you know, sometimes cooking dinner for me if I couldn't cook for myself. Um, sometimes that would look like, you know, just sitting with me when I was in a lot of pain or rubbing my back. And a few months into this, I, you know, realized I felt something for him. And to give you some context, this felt really strange to me at the time because I had only you know, previously dated women. I'd never dated a man. And more than that, I'd never consciously been interested in the man. And, you know, I, I think I consider myself a pretty open-minded person. So it was never something that I thought like, oh, you know, I don't want to be interested in men. It just kind of felt like, like, hey, that's cool if it ever happens, but that's not my cup of tea. I have a lot of gay friends, but that's just not something that interests me. And so at this moment, it was really strange because it didn't feel sexual. It didn't even feel romantic. It just felt like I feel this connection. And there was a part of me that thought, oh, my God, is this just because I think I'm going to die? And I'm just like grabbing on to the closest person in proximity. So I think there was a part of me that didn't really know if this was real. But at the same time, I thought, well, I could die. I mean, I'm, I'm vomiting blood. No doctors seem to know what's wrong with me. Um, I could die. And I was also writing handwritten letters to every member of my family about things that had hurt me that they'd said, things that I wanted to apologize or take responsibility for, because I was trying any you know, therapy I could to try to heal myself. And so I was in this mindset of, if I feel something, I have to speak up about it, because holding it inside is keeping me sick. And so there I was, and I think if it were any other moment in my life, I would have brushed this under the rug. But I thought I could die tomorrow, and I'm getting sicker and sicker, and I just have to speak up about what I'm feeling, even if it doesn't make sense. And so I said to him one day, you know, Garrett, this is maybe strange, and I don't know how you're going to take this, but I feel something. There's something that I feel here. Um, it doesn't necessarily feel romantic or sexual, but like I just want to speak about it. And that led to about two months of conversation, which led to about two years of exploring can a relationship work? You know, what is this? Is this just because I'm sick? 
And so during that two-year period, we both dated, you know, women. We had other relationships who were not exclusive, um, but we explored. You know, we, I remember the first time kissing him felt really unnatural because um, I had never felt facial hair on my face. And something about that just felt really strange and not good to me. And so it was this process of kind of, you know, I remember we used um, pornography actually to explore things in a safe way so that we didn't have to physicalize anything that felt unsafe, but say, hey, could I be interested in that? Could that be something I want to maybe try or explore? And, you know, I, I always say that everything is glamorous in retrospect. Um, so I'm condensing, you know, years of experience and a whole bunch of really intense emotions into just a few minutes right now. But, you know, we began to navigate that relationship. And while that was going on, I realized, oh, my God, I need to leave my job because if I'm getting this sick, something is wrong here. You know, I might be successful. I might even like this job, but clearly this is not sustainable. I'm 24. I'm really young. I shouldn't be this sick. And so I started the process of leaving my job and I gave a year's notice at work. And for anyone listening, I never recommend anyone give a year notice at work, but I was an owner of this company. So I felt like it was my obligation to my partners to really make sure that they were in a good place and restructure. And so while that was going on during that year, I enrolled in herbalism school and nutrition school. And I was taking a whole bunch of classes, just trying to figure out my next move. You know, I was interested in healing myself. Maybe I could be interested in healing others. And so you can imagine I was working full time, going to two schools full time, healing myself, navigating my first same sex relationship. It was exhausting. And it was probably the most challenging year of my life. But that year ended. And I decided I was going to be the herbalist to a lot of Boston's entrepreneurs because I knew a lot of these people. I had gotten really sick. I thought this was probably a good pathway for me. And so at the time, it just so happened that Garrett and I had moved in, just the two of us, realized this was getting serious and um, decided that we were going to tell our family about our relationship. We had told a few close friends, but we were ready to tell more widespread network and our families. And it just so happened that that was the same time that I left my job. So it's kind of all happening at once. And so we told our families and most were supportive, um, some to varying degrees, but they all got there. And um, I started being this herbalist to the tech entrepreneurs of Boston. But if I'm being honest with you, I didn't love it. I wasn't making a lot of money. And I thought, well, shoot, what am I going to do now? I left my job. I have to figure something out. And I realized I had all these stories and all these experiences, you know, redefining success for myself, reaching what I thought was the pinnacle of success and realizing it wasn't what I wanted. And so I started blogging about this and I wasn't ready to talk about my relationship yet, but I started blogging about what I'd learned about life. And three months later, after I started blogging, a publisher sent me an email and said, Hey Mike, I really like where your blog is going. Can I give you a book deal? And I was like, what that? Like, this is just out of nowhere. I did not write a book proposal. I was just handed a book deal. And I thought, oh, my God, they always say when you're on your path, when you're on your bliss, when you're on your purpose, the universe just hands you things on a silver platter. This must be my silver platter. And so I wrote that book. And in that book, I talked about my relationship. And after I sent in my manuscript, I thought, oh, shoot, 
I have to start telling more people in my life about this relationship because they can't find out about it on the shelves of Barnes and Noble, right? Like I need to tell you, yes, my family and close friends know, but I need to tell people in my life. So I thought, well, I'm going to write a blog post on my blog about this. And so I was ready to kind of come out there. I wrote that blog post. And at the time I was writing for another publication that was, you know, a larger national publication. And they asked if I would just adapt what I wrote, like if they could kind of reprint what I wrote, but add a few more details. And I said, sure, you know, I've already put it out there. That's okay. So I added a few more details and I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning and a hundred thousand people had shared it. And this was by far the most overwhelming moment of my life. I mean, to wake up to millions of people talking about your sex life, uh, things that I just, I mean, really invasive questions. I got literally thousands of emails in that week. Um, some hate mail, some really supportive, some from people all over the world with similar stories that they just wanted to share with me. And so it was a lot. Um, I had, you know, NPR calling me and Huffington Post and Yahoo News and all of these places. And it was a really intense experience for me. And all the while, I'm sitting here, you know, with this viral story, really, and all these people, you know, um, writing to me. And I realized I don't even have a business model. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know how any of this connects, right? Like, I've got this relationship and this sickness and this herbalism and this blog and this book deal. And my book's not even coming out for a year. I've got, I'm running out of money. Like, I have to figure out what my purpose is. And none of, nothing in my life connects. I feel all over the place. And so I, you know, have read literally every life purpose book you can imagine. I have gone to every life purpose training, like you name it. I have heard a thousand times in my life, you will know your purpose by the end of these 60 minutes. I've heard that so many times and I almost never do. So I, you know, went through all this stuff again and I spent, you know, weeks reading and I kept hearing, you know, figure out what your passions are, figure out what your interests are figure out what the world needs, and then find that middle point. And I thought, okay, okay, what do these things have in common? You know, herbalism and health coaching and sickness and sexuality. And I thought, oh my God, it is so obvious. How did I miss it? I meant to create a blogging course. And this blogging course is going to be, yeah, it's going to be about finding your book, you know, getting a book deal, but it's going to be deep and spiritual. It's going to be about finding your inner voice and knowing who you are and unpacking this conditioning. And I thought this makes total sense. It connects all my dots. It brings back branding and public relations. This is what I'm meant to do. And so I had no money. I had, you know, almost all my money was gone at this point. But I thought, if you know your purpose, does it matter? Like, you know this is going to work out. And so I got the fancy lighting kit and the microphone and, you know, the web designer, the uh, Facebook ads, the business partner, you name it. I had all that stuff. I put every last dollar I had into this thing because all that life purpose work told me, you've got to go pro. You've just got to go for it. So I thought, okay, I know this is going to take off. I've got to do it. And I put this thing out into the world and five people bought it. It was a colossal failure. And I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed because I just felt like I did it. You know, I really put myself out there. It wasn't like I half-assed it. Like I actually went, you know, millions of people are talking about my sex life. I went for love, you know, and really, you know, looked into my beliefs about myself. 
I, you know, started the business. I left my job. This was supposed to work. And I just felt like I will never know my purpose. And I can't even describe to you how disheartening this moment was. And so I gave up. I was done. Um, the next day, my plan was to go back to public relations to beg my partners to take me back. I didn't even know if I had a job at my own company, but beg them to take me back. And to kind of flip the energy, I decided to host what I called a failure celebration. And really the thinking was, I just wanted to celebrate the fact that I did things that were hard enough to fail. Like at least I took a risk. At least I put myself out there, right? I went for love. I went for passion. I went for purpose. And so I took the one thing I was still confident in, which was public relations and branding, and I offered it for free in the Facebook group I was a part of. And so I just said, hey, everyone in here, I'm going to give away as many free branding sessions as I can. Whoever wants them, you know, it's literally back to back to back. I have to stop sessions to pee, but I didn't even care. Like it was just, I'm giving it away. I'm not successful. Maybe you can be. And so I did this. And I'm used to working with, like I said, you know, these tech billionaires and these healthcare politicians. But the people in this group were people like artists and therapists and life coaches and healers and all types of cool people. And we did those sessions and it was the same branding work I'd always done. And at the end of each session, every single one of these people said some variation to me of, Mike, you didn't just tell me my brand. You explained my entire life purpose. Every question in my life is answered. So you can imagine, I'm sitting there like, what the, f what? Like, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. This, the, the, I'm just doing simple branding work. And I've done this through my whole career. And so I'm sitting there and we get off that last call. And I think, well, what, what do I have to lose at this point? So I go and I do that work myself. And I spend two hours doing the exact process on myself that I did on them. And at the end, I came out with six words. And those six words are align, zany, free, unmistakable, successful, and vulnerable. And there was just this, this click. And it just felt like, oh my God, like I can see why my relationship with Garrett, why there's an attraction there. I've never been safe to be that vulnerable. I've never been safe to be that zany and crazy. He literally thinks I can't make a mistake and I'm unmistakable. You know, I can see why in public relations, it felt good, but I couldn't be vulnerable or zany. I can see why my blogging course failed. I can see why this thing happened or felt really good. And it was just like this map where I began to really realize every moment of success and fulfillment had the exact same patterns and every moment of trauma had the exact same patterns. And so I'm sitting here in this moment reflecting on all of this and I get an email from one of the women that I worked with that day and she said to me you know Mike my friend wants to buy this she wants to work with you what do you call this thing do you sell it and I was like I, I don't know I mean I don't even think it's a thing it's branding but you're telling me it's life purpose I guess it's sacred I'll call it sacred branding I just made that up slapped that on there and the next day I had one client and three weeks later I had a full schedule and so I never went back to public relations. And here we are, you know, seven years later. Wow, that's just an awesome journey. And I know uh, that's not all of it, because I'm sure there are other things that happens along the way as well. You, yeah, always. yeah, you, so were you able to find out what 
what it was that caused you to have that major health yeah. crisis because that was a catalyst to just take you in the direction that you were supposed to go. Yeah, huge catalyst. You know, I've been diagnosed with a few different things. So at the time, based on my um, pancreatic enzyme levels, I was diagnosed with severe pancreatitis, which was something that would be rare for someone my age, especially the severity of the disease. Um, but based on those levels, that was a diagnosis. Um, I've also been diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disorder, um, which is why I do eat you know, gluten-free and dairy-free today. Um, I also do crazy things like get up at 5.30 and exercise so that my body has no stress. And so I found ways to adapt to it um, because I've chosen not to take medication. Um, and I feel good with that. But, you know, to be honest with you, there's no clear diagnosis. So there were those things. There was some infections and in organs. So there were a few different diagnoses. But one thing that was really just kind of the overarching was this is something autoimmune going on, which really nobody completely understood. But I do have a, few, a little bit of clarity. Okay. And you... How would you describe or define for the audience public relations? How would you define that? Yeah, so, you know, the work that I did was really um, mainly media relations. I helped people to develop their brand and message and then to actually communicate with the media. So I would be a liaison um, between a politician, let's say, a company, um, you know, maybe a, a big brand and the media. So I, I knew a lot of reporters, especially in my field, like let's say healthcare reform, and I would uh, hear what a company was doing. I would tell them how to package it up according to um, what kind of is happening with regulations and laws in the country, and also how to talk about it vis-a-vis -vis, you know, the industry. And then I would actually interface with the media and help to connect to the right reporters who I felt like A, understood it, and B would just naturally be interested because it was in their wheelhouse with the right um, people. And so really, I just help people get in the news, I guess you could say. Okay, connecting. Now describe for us branding. Yeah, so branding, you know, I, I think I have an evolving definition of branding because back in the day, I might have told you that, you know, a brand is really a, um, you know, encapsulation of a business. It's the underlying kind of core messages or the core themes of a business. But as I've kind of gotten deeper into this work and done it over the past few years, I really expand branding far beyond business. You know, a brand is an essence. It's an energy medicine. It's a way of being that is a unique footprint on the world. You know, we don't just have a brand in business. We have a brand in the way we interview, a brand in the way we have sex a brand enough way of friendships or relationships. You know, we have a way of being in the world that is totally unique to us, our own unique brand, right? Like when we hang out with a certain friend, we might just feel a certain way. When we talk to our partners, we feel a certain way. And so for me, a brand is really that core essence of who you are. You know, we can talk about that as sensitivities, which we can today. We can talk about that as life purpose, but it's really this kind of feeling people get when they're around you or this kind of state where you're just naturally magnetic, successful, and fulfilled without even realizing it. So there's nothing you have to conjure up. It's just the true essence yeah. of yourself, it sounds. It's, it's the most natural state. And the thing is, you know, a lot of people out there are saying like, oh, I don't know like where I'm resonant, or I don't know what my purpose is or what my brand is. And I always say, 
do you have success anywhere in life? I know you do because no human can survive this long. No one has absolutely no success. We might have a successful friendship, a successful relationship. We've been successful once at work. It doesn't matter. But if you've ever had success in life, the same reason you were successful there is why you are resonant and successful anywhere else in your life. So for me, I know every time I am deeply vulnerable and zany and weird and telling stories and free to just flow and be myself, I'm successful. And that relationship with, you know, Garrett, those places, I can feel that connection. And that's why my marriage is so great. But it's also the same thing that I do in my work, on my interviews. You know, some people are not going to resonate and like me. And that's great. That's totally their prerogative. But if people resonate with us, they can resonate across the board because I just want my website to feel like me. I just want interviews to feel like me. I just want my friendships to feel like me. You know, you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else. And so I think there's so much conditioning and unpacking that we have that is layered on top of us that makes us feel like, oh, relationships have to look this way or business has to look this way or this is what an interview looks like. And maybe for someone else, but that's not you. If, it, if you're trying and you're technical and like, oh, I need the right tone of voice and I need the right position and I need the right language, you're a second rate version of somebody else. And people can get that anywhere else but they can never get your essence. That's why people are in love with you. They can feel something deeply within you that's authentic and that's resonant. And every human has that. And the cool thing is we don't even have to try. We just have to stop trying and figure out what that is. And it's already in all of our lived experiences. So we only have to map those. But once we figure that out, it's just easy because we just get to show up. And I'm not saying life is effortless, but I'm saying there's something natural about it where we are just becoming more and more of ourselves. So what you uh, alluded to this uh, moments ago, you said throughout your process when you were going through the different things that you were going through and establishing and discovering things, um, what, what were you able to see when you said you noticed that your failures and your successes had the exact same patterns? you know, differently, of course, but yeah. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about purpose, we say that it's something that's achievable or aspirational. So a lot of times people will say to me, you know, Mike, my purpose is to be a life coach. My purpose is to be a writer. My purpose is to start a podcast. And that's beautiful. But here's the thing. If you can achieve it, that means you can also fail it. And that doesn't really make sense. How could you fail your purpose? And furthermore, if you can achieve it, that implies you didn't have it at a certain point. So did you just not have a purpose as a baby? That doesn't make sense. Of course we did. And so, you know, the way we talk about purpose law in the world actually induces shame because what we're saying is that I don't have purpose or I'm not purposeful right now. I've got to do something outside of myself to find or get or achieve it. And if I don't do that correctly, then I'm a failure and then I don't have purpose. And I see people get stuck in these cycles. And even if they think they've, quote, unquote, found their purpose, like in a job or a relationship, I can't tell you how many hundreds of people I've worked with who have been laid off or, you know, they you know, got fired or they go through a divorce or ending a relationship. And now all of a sudden they feel like, oh, my God, I don't have a purpose. I have to rediscover myself. And so the way that I look at purpose is actually quite differently. Um, I think of purpose a lot more as what's that thing we had 
way before, you know, as babies, before we had language, before we had all this conditioning or even achieved a thing in life, we had sensitivities, right? Every baby is sensitive and every baby is sensitive to different things. Some babies might be sensitive to music. And if you're sensitive to music, you can hear notes that I can't hear. You know, if you're sensitive to freedom, you're going to feel trapped way easier than I am, but you're always going to be looking to free yourself or opportunities to free others all throughout your life. And so any moment of your life, you know, you're going to feel deeper, right? Because sensitivity, the word sensitive means literally able to sense more. We see, taste, touch, smell, hear life more. We feel it deeper. That means that we have more genius there because we can kind of see nuances or split hairs. That means we have more gifts there. But it also means that we're going to have more trauma around those because we feel things deeper, right? They heighten our emotions or our sensitivities. And so, you know, the baby that, um, you know, is sensitive to freedom, every moment of trauma in their life or moment of challenge in their life is going to have some aspect of feeling trapped or stuck in it because that's something they're sensitive to. That's how they experience life. And every moment that we know that's going to feel successful and purposeful is going to be freeing, whether it's creatively free, spaciously free, and that might change context to context. And so we're going to see that failure and success are two sides of the same coin. They're both the sensitivity being highlighted, whether it's able to express itself or not. You know, trauma and purpose are two sides of the same coin. It's going to be, you know, things where we can't be our full selves or where we are being deprived or being ripped out from being our full selves or we can actually flow in what's natural to us. And so when we start to understand that, I can look at my past trauma and say, oh, my God, there were moments where I felt the opposite of vulnerable. I felt like I was either overexposed, like the article going viral, or I have to protect myself. We can look at, you know, in my story, successful, right? We can see what a failure I felt like. And there were these moments, high highs of success when I was just randomly getting a book deal, and then low lows of being a complete failure and nothing working out for me. And so when we start to see that, there are patterns in every person's life based on their subjectivity or how they experience life. And that's their sensitivities. And so, you know, I'm really interested in this more holistic way of looking at purpose, where it's not just the quote unquote good stuff, the achieving stuff out there. When people say, I'm on my purpose. I've wasted so much time until I got to my purpose. And I always say to them, no moment of your lived experience is wasted. No moment. We just have this treasure trove of data in our lives. And we can start mapping it no matter how bad or how good or how whatever we feel about our lives. We can map that and see the same sensitivities over and over again. Yeah. I like the way you highlight um, the naturalness of it, this innate thing that we have. We don't have to conjure it up because the tree doesn't try to be the tree. It just exactly. is. And when you were talking about sensitivities, I was thinking about this interview that I saw um, with Lionel Richie, the mm -hmm. famous singer, songwriter. And he was talking about when he was a child, he was extremely sensitive. And the time that he grew up in, you know, masculinity was, you know, a big thing. And, you know, I'm sure throughout the ages and the years, but, you know, it wasn't a thing to see a, a boy cry so easily. Right. Yeah. And he said that nobody discouraged him. His family didn't discourage him because had they discouraged him, he would have just 
he wouldn't have been able to express that part. That part of him was the songwriting. That part of him was the singing coming out in a different way. And he would, we would have never heard of Lionel Richie had that part probably been suppressed, which sometimes people um, get their, uh, the essence of themselves become uh, suppressed for a period of time. Absolutely. That's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. And it reminds me of a time when a client was suppressed. I want to tell a short story of uh, a woman who was struggling with alcoholism and we came through and we did the mapping sensitivities and we discovered that one of her sensitivities is enchanted, the word enchanted. And right away, she started mem- remembering, you know, being a little girl and playing in fairy gardens and she wore a coral crown and she had all these, you know, imaginary fairies around her and she felt so enchanted. And then she got older and her family told her this wasn't appropriate. She needed to grow up. She couldn't be playing this way. And it was at this moment that she realized the only time as an adult that she felt enchanted is when she's drunk. And that, you know, at that moment, there was just this weight off her shoulder where she realized, I'm not broken. I'm not effed up. I'm not wrong. There's a core sensitivity that's trying to be met here. I am enchanted. That's who I am. That's how I experience life. And I feel alive when I'm enchanted. And so fortunately, you know, she's now in you know, full recovery she's been able to find new ways to feel enchanted that don't need to include alcohol. And I think that's the thing is that we pretend that humans are illogical, irrational beings. And that's not true, right? We always have a reason for doing everything we do. We may not know what the reason is at the time, but we always have a reason. And if we understand our sensitivities, we understand that core of us, right? There's something in Lionel Richie that needs to be expressed. That sensitivity needs to be expressed. And if it was shut down or suppressed in many ways, it may have turned to more distorted or toxic ways, but he has to express that because that's who he is. And so any, you know, compulsions or addictions, I mean, we can start talking about this as some core need in us wants to be expressed, some core sensitivity. And so when we begin to understand those, we can make more empowered decisions. Now, I always say shame has never been an effective tool for behavior change but understanding always is. I've tried to shame myself a hundred times to change my behavior. Guess what? It doesn't work. (laughs) But when I understand why I'm engaging in the behavior, then it's really easy to change the behavior because I can fulfill the underlying need. Yeah, that's, that's powerful because the shame doesn't, it doesn't feed us anything but negativity. You know, it, it doesn't uh, lift us up. So, okay. So let's do a little, I guess, example of how you would be, how you would work with a client. So I would, um, I would just come up with some things. So suppose you have a 35 year old male who came to you and, you know, he's saying that he's trying to discover or, uh, discover his purpose in life. Um, how would you go about helping him? Sure. So, you know, uh, I, my full work, a full sacred branding session, which I don't do a ton of anymore, is two and a half hours. So it's quite lengthy. <laughs> and part of the reason being is that, you know, people, all of us, our desires are conditioned. So if, you know, I ask people, what sense, you know, what values do you have in life? Who doesn't say that they value courage and humility? Of course, we all say that. Mm-hmm. But is that the core of our lived experience is the real question. 
And so we can't just go ahead and ask people right from the get-go. It's got to be something that we're mapping the experiences. That being said, um, you know, Maurice, if you would like to be a guinea pig, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, I can do a quick five-minute, you know, asking you a few questions and starting to map those for people live. Okay, that'll work. This That'll work? All right. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Everyone listening, I promise you, if you ever go to my website, there's a worksheet that you can do this on for free. So, like, don't feel like you only have to get it from me. You can go do your own worksheet. <laughs> but um, so, Maurice, I'm going to ask you if you can think in your mind right now of three jobs you've had or roles in life. So they could be jobs you've been paid for. They could also be roles like being a father or being a brother or being a spouse or any of those things. It could be a volunteer position. So it's either a job or a role you've had. I want you to think of three of them in your mind right now. And then I want you to tell me one of these jobs or roles and three things that you made people feel. For example, as a, let's say you were a teacher, maybe you made students feel empowered, maybe engaged with material. Maybe you felt, made them feel safe to learn. So just give me one of these jobs or roles and three things you made people feel. Okay. So I'm a, a clinical supervisor. Mm-hmm. I help people change their mindset. I help, I give people uh, knowledge and insight that they, uh, when they struggle uh, with a client, I give them some insight on how to move forward. Um, and I encourage people when I see them, uh, because I have to be observant, if I see that they may be down uh, uh, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. It sounds, sounds to me like you maybe will feel encouraged, knowledgeable, you know, changed, insightful, beautiful things. Okay. So give me another job and three things that you made people feel. Another job. Um, let's see. Ooh. It could be back since high school. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be recent. Okay. Um, I volunteered at uh, a youth detention center. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I, uh, I, went and spoke to kids from, I guess, from eight to 17, 18 years old. And Mm -hmm. I would just go to encourage them. Mm -hmm. I would give them uh, insight of hope. Well, I would give them Mm -hmm. hope, something they can reach for. Um, And to be a listening ear for when they wanted to express something beautiful so it sounds like you made them feel hopeful encouraged and heard which is so beautiful um okay one more job and three things you made people feel okay okay um okay in undergrad i worked at this grocery store in the deli department Mm -hmm. um so i helped i made um I gave people, I cut meat and gave people their meat. So I was able to follow the instructions and give them what they wanted. I could Mm -hmm. see them uh, feel pleased when I was able to give them exactly what they wanted because sometimes Mm -hmm. they wanted sliced or whatever. Um, 
I encourage people when I saw that they may look it down or dejected when they came into the store because oftentimes it was repeat uh, customers. And I also, people would talk to me. People would talk to me if something was going on. So I was uh, able to give them a listening ear. Yeah, so, okay, beautiful. So how do you feel pleased, feeling encouraged, and feeling heard? Beautiful. Okay, so now I want you to think of one of the most challenging moments in your life, a moment that doesn't feel re-traumatizing to think about, but just a moment that was kind of like frustrating or challenging. And you don't have to tell us what it is if you don't want to, but I want you to tell me three things you felt in that moment. Challenging. Okay. Um, okay. When I was in grad school, uh, something happened to my car. And it was the last year. So an extra class was added on to what we were already doing. And then we had our practicum. Mm -hmm. uh, so I needed a car. So it made me feel hopeless uh, mm -hmm. in the moment. And you said three things about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so hopeless and then two other things okay. that you felt. I felt um, that I guess dejected as far as I don't know what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I thought I was going to have to quit and for the, you know, for the time being. And I felt um, like a failure almost. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And so now I want you to imagine that you had a magic wand and you could change the whole situation and make yourself feel whatever you would have rather have felt. So if you could change the situation, what do you think you would have rather have felt than, you know, like a failure and hopeless and dejected? What would you want to feel? I would want to have felt empowered Mm -hmm. uh, excited about the opportunity to really dive into my, um, you know, what I was going to school for. And I would have one. You said three things? Yep, just one more thing. I would have wanted to feel um, the feeling of... Uh, completion even though I was mm -hmm. in the midst yeah beautiful beautiful yeah hopeful completion empowered excited beautiful okay so now I want you to think the final question of one really happy successful moment in your life a moment that just feels good and I want you to tell me what it is if you feel called and then three things you felt in that moment when I uh, became licensed Mm -hmm. uh, I felt uh, so happy. Mm -hmm. I felt validated. Yeah. Um, and I felt, um, wow, I just felt like I was on top of the world. Like it was a completion of years of work that uh, was completed in that moment. I love it. Beautiful. And it's so now all we're going to do is just map. We're going to look at patterns we saw, either literally the same word or similar themes. And so right away, everyone listening can tell 
we heard the word encourage a ton of times. We heard hopeful a ton of times, right? We heard completed a bunch of times. We heard empowered a few times going on there. We heard happy. So we're already seeing, and this is just my shoddy five-minute version, but we're already seeing some patterns going on in your life. That in moments, that every moment that you've been successful or happy or things have worked out, you felt really hopeful, empowered, you know, excited, happy, um, a sense of completion and encouraged. Your gifts to people, oh, and heard, by the way, I want to say heard, because I remember you saying that a lot. So in your gifts, every time that you've helped another person, your gift always is helping to feel, feel encouraged and hopeful and heard and completed and, you know, um, happy. Now, the moments of trauma or shame or moments that probably were challenging your life were all moments where you felt hopeless, disempowered. You know, there wasn't this sense of completion. Maybe there was disruption or maybe you felt broken in those moments. There wasn't this wholeness to them. Um, you didn't feel heard. You didn't feel like people were listening. So now we have a sense of sensitivities. And what I can tell you is that right away, I'm going to start thinking, if I didn't know you from a hole in the wall, hmm, with words like heard, and, you know, hopeful and empowered um, what w- or encouraged. What would be, uh, would podcasting be good for Maurice? Of course it would. Anytime I hear the word heard, I, I can't tell you how many podcasters I talk to and I hear that word heard come up again and again. I'm not surprised. That's what draws you to this. Doing the, you know, clinical mental health work, that's going to be someone who wants people to feel heard, who wants people to feel encouraged and hopeful. That's why it feels like a purposeful or good container for you. And that's why you're successful in it. Now, your friendships or relationships, the ones that make you feel heard and encouraged and happy and empowered and all of these things are going to be the ones that are really deeply fulfilling. The ones that aren't are not going to be fulfilling for you. And I'm going to guess that you are a person who really likes that sense of completion. So maybe you like a sense of closure, if anything, you know, ends or breaks up. Maybe you're the type of person who really needs to kind of, uh, you know, reach out and close up any loops or just make sure that things feel fit. You're also helping people to feel complete and whole every day and pulling together the parts of them that feel broken and doing that for yourself. Now we're getting a really clear sense of, okay, I'm starting to see sensitivities in your life. And I know this is just a quick shoddy version. So again, if anyone wants to go to my website, it's mikeimle.com slash map. I just have a worksheet and there's a little training that goes with it for free. So you can do that. But um, it's just a shoddy version, but already it's giving us a sense of these are sensitivities that have shown up in every aspect of your life. And if we start building our relationships and our friendships and our jobs and our marketing around this, right, this is the gift people want from you. People want to feel heard by you. People want to feel encouraged by you. So the second they come to your website, the second that they hear your podcast, the second, the more that we can make them feel that, they're going to say like, okay, I'm getting the medicine I need, even if they're not conscious of what that is. And then it's what comes naturally to you. So it's just you being yourself, giving the medicine that people most want from you, and you're making the biggest contribution to the world and feeling purposeful yourself. Wow, that was that was great. I've never had that um, uh, done before. Uh, I've done some uh, different tests or whatever, and certain things popped up. But it's interesting to hear you, um, you know, go through that process. It was pretty cool. And you said those things people want most from me. Not that I don't have other things, because people could be uh, you like in college. We have a major and a minor. But if we get so fixated on the minor, we don't, it won't yield as much as 
us being given our all to the major things. So being able to identify those things that you pointed out and be lost, get lost in those things, given those things and expressing those things or putting, a, you know, putting our uh, selves in the mindset that we can just naturally express those things. Absolutely. You know, I think all the time, if I could make someone feel why my sensitivities is successful, if I could make someone feel successful, truly successful, who gives a shit how I give it to you? I can wave a magic wand. I can put you through some coaching. I can write a book. I can talk on a podcast. It doesn't matter. But if I'm tuned into exactly what I most want to give you and what people most want from me, why I'm so magnetic in my way, then I just zero in on that. And over and over again, I say, Mike, successful is what they want. Give them quick tips. Give them ways to feel successful. Encourage them. Make them feel really successful. You know, that's why I love that we got the opportunity to do this short demo because it can share that energy over and over again. If that's my gift to the world, then my obligation is to figure out how to build containers in every aspect of my life. How can my relationships be built around that? How can my friendships, how can the second you come to my website, you feel that and it will give you a sense of ease. And if you don't like me for my website, then there's no point of you know, engaging with me further because that's the, I'm just being myself. You see me on a website, you see me on a podcast, you're going to know what it's like to talk to me in person. That can be true for all of us. And so we're able to quickly give the gift that we have to offer the world. If some people don't resonate, fine, that's okay. They can go away. And the people who do resonate can really enjoy and share in our gifts. Wow. And that's how you give it on purpose. You Exactly. Wow. That is phenomenal, Mike. What, what is your website? What's the... Sure. So it's just MikeIMLE.com, M-I-K-E-I-A-M-E-L-E.com. And if you want that worksheet and training, it's MikeIMLE.com slash MAP, M-A-P. Great. So you've given us just oh, a richness of yourself. Um, what is your one to grow on? What valuable piece of information would you like to leave our audience with? Yeah. You know, I think it's the fact that you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else. And I think I've spent so much time in my life trying to be someone else, trying to say, well, you know what? I've got to do Facebook ads over here, or I've got to do this thing over here, or I've got to you know, seem really impressive over here to be successful. But here's the thing. Even if that works, and I'm you know, doubtful it does, but even if that works, because I have been successful being someone else, it destroys your self-esteem because over and over again, you just tell yourself, I'm only successful good enough conditionally. I'm only good enough because I'm being someone else. If I were really my authentic self, if I were just hanging out in this interview and shooting the shit and talking, I won't be successful. That's what we're telling ourselves over and over again. And so ironically, the more successful we get, the less self-esteem we have. And I can tell you, I've worked with some pretty public figures and that's certainly true. So, you know, I think I really want to share and remind ourselves and myself that you never have to try to be yourself, right? When you're having coffee with a best friend, when you are just there and you're enjoying life and hours fly by and genius fills out of you, you're not trying, you're just being. And that magnetism, we can do in every aspect of our lives. So you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else.
Thank you for listening to The New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, The New Mind Creator. This podcast has been sponsored by Abundant Sports and True Serum. Head over to www.mauriceflornoy.com to receive more motivation and insight to help create your new mind.